It's about to get awkward. Oh, yes. You can't help it, though. It's all right. Because we've got the co-host of my favorite podcast joining us live for the very first time. So without further ado, we have now author, speaker, consultant, ordained pastor, most importantly, co-host of the Holy Post podcast with Phil Vischer, ladies and gentlemen, Sky Jatani. All right, can I just can I just say it's been awkward for a few minutes already? Oh, I've been, I have been listening. Oh, good. And uh, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but it's it's very early in the morning to be this awkward. Oh my goodness! He, no, you it's not early for well, Brian. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would like to state for the record, Sky Jatani, that we had Phil Vischer on the show after he released that uh, racism in America video, which I'm sure you're familiar uh-huh. with. And then you guys talked about us on your podcast afterwards. We did. You said earlier you were you were trying to get a, a mention on the show, but we've already done it. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 uh, no. no. That was Phil. <laughs> that was we, Phil. We want a mention oh. from you. I want oh, you right, right. to organically bring up. By the way, I was on this show in Cleveland. So how do we go about accomplishing that today? <laughs> uh, Looking I, for well, tips. I'm I'm very open to bribes. Oh wow! <laughs> PayPal, Venmo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I could mention things like, you clearly are the better looking of the two. Oh, is that oh. would that help? Yeah. Well, I, I sure, but I, it's a, probably a lie. Phil's in better shape than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> um, how about this one? Your your well placed one liners are arguably funnier than Phil. Oh, I appreciate that. That's Ooh, kind of you. Yeah, I think some people are surprised by the show because Phil, being the Veggie Tales guy, everyone expects to be funny. <laughs> And I think he surprises people with how smart he is. And he kind of put me on the show as the straight man. I'm supposed to be the guy with the answers. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, I have the zingers and I can be funny. So we kind of balance each other out that oh, way. See? Yeah, well, you have a fan in Cleveland, I can tell you. So thank you for you're, your work. You're the podcast. one. Thank you. So <laughs> you know what we're about to do? We're about to get real. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors. The scary ones, the ones that make you feel uncomfortable, that's where we going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia. So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle, I'm Brian. And if you don't want to miss anything, just hit that subscribe button. This is the Brian and Janelle podcast. We want to talk about, it's becoming a series for you now, the What If Jesus Was Serious. You've got th- th- that title and now about prayer. But I want to get behind the What If Jesus Is Serious part, because I feel like there's something behind that. Is is it snarky? Is it, like, where where are you coming from when you're asking to people, wait, what if Jesus was actually serious about what he said? Yeah, I, pr- I suppose it is a little bit snarky. It all came out of a uh, a class I taught many years ago at my church when I was still on staff as a pastor. I did an adult Sunday class on the Sermon on the Mount. And on the first day, we just read through the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I asked the class, do you think Jesus was serious? Like, are we actually expected to follow these commands? And I was shocked when the 30 or 40 adults in this class no one raised their hand and said yes. Really? And these are these are lifelong evangelical Christians. I live in Wheaton, Illinois, for goodness sake, where Wheaton College yeah. is, right? This is this is not some, you know, backwater newly evangelized non-Christian population. But nobody said we were actually expected to do these things. And so then I started digging deeper and trying to investigate what was really behind their interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. And I think many other 
critical teachings of Scripture. And uh, the, the attitude, to summarize, I think that so many people have been shaped by a therapeutic vision of Christianity that anything that feels self not self-destructive, but uh, self-sacrificial or painful or something that would in any way set you back by the world's standards can't possibly be what God wants for us. So I just realized we've been shaped so much more by our American cultural views than by Scripture, and that's where that question originally came from. Uh, and then I did a series in my daily devotional on the Sermon on the Mount, which I used that question and eventually became the book. And uh, I like the title because it is that little bit of snarkiness. But I think it's the question we should be asking yes. about Scripture over and over again. If, yeah. Is is God serious here? And I mean, there's two parts of that. Is he serious? And then am I understanding it correctly? Right? Am I actually reading it and understanding it correctly? Because there are some things we take seriously, which are actually, I would argue, misunderstandings of what Scripture is really saying. So there's a lot of work that has to go into it. How do we reconcile? though, that we've got a significant number of people not taking Jesus seriously and yet subscribing to inerrancy. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, that's a can of worms, honestly. Um, One thing to keep in mind is, at least in America, one of the great benefits of being an American is the First Amendment, right? We don't have a state-sanctioned religion. It's a free market. Where people can believe whatever they want and religious organizations can compete with each other for adherents and followers. The side effect of that, though, is we've created this free marketplace. And in any free marketplace, the consumer is ultimately king. And so what's happened, I think, in the American church is we have, in our hunger and desire to grow our institutions, to be bigger, we have adapted to what the market wants and so in a lot of Christianity in America, we're just giving people the form of Christianity, the interpretation of Scripture, the vision of God and Jesus that people want to have, which is ultimately a self-help, therapeutic, consumeristic vision of the faith. And so we shouldn't be surprised that a vast majority don't take what he says seriously. I mean, there was a study that came out of Lifeway, the Southern Baptist, not too many years ago that found that church-going evangelicals hold more heretical views of Christianity than non-Christians. Whoa. In other words, if, if you want to make sure you're understanding the Bible correctly, statistically speaking, you're better off not going to church. That's how bad it's gotten. So um, I know that's horrible to say, but it's the, what the data shows. And I think it's a result of the marketplace leading our faith rather than Scripture. So is that coming then from bad teaching from the pulpit, or is this just a case of people hearing it but not taking it seriously? This is where it gets kind of weird. I don't think it's necessary. There are, of course, places where there's bad teaching from the pulpit, no doubt, but I don't think that's majority of places. I think it's a combination of one, no teaching from the pulpit, that so many places are just not teaching the doctrines and words of Christ. And number two, I think we're under the illusion that people are still shaped by what their pastor says in a sermon on Sunday. That's not what is shaping people's faith. A Barna stat came out, I think back in the 1990s or maybe 80s, they asked people, are you a regular churchgoer? And if they answered yes, they'd ask, well, how often are you at church? And 30, 40 years ago, the average answer was twice a week because people went on Sunday morning and they went Wednesday night prayer meeting or whatever. They did that survey again a few years ago, and people who said they were regular churchgoers now say they average attendance twice a month. So if you think going to church twice a month and listening to, say, a 30-minute sermon each time and an hour of your pastor's sermons is going to really shape 
your vision of the Christian life, that's delusional. And I think, frankly, a lot of us in the pulpit are delusional if we think that's what's shaping people's views of faith. It's far more what they're consuming in the media and and Christian media as well that is shaping their vision of the faith. And that is not, I would argue, largely conforming to what we read in the New Testament. So then what are they hearing from Christian media that's, that's think, causing it to be heretical? In a, in a sense? I think it's a lot of therapeutic stuff. I think it's a lot of, uh, you know, God wants you to be happy, wealthy, and safe. I think it's a lot of politics. I think it's a lot of uh, fear and anger towards people who are different than you, who are perceived to be a threat to you and your family rather than a call to love our enemies. We're called to hate them and fear them and run from them rather than being generous to the point of sacrificing our own lives for others, we are told to hoard and protect ourselves and circle the wagons. I think we have raised the value within evangelicalism that is ungodly, the value of safety, that personal safety, family safety, community safety is the highest good. And um, I, I just don't see that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not there. So those are some of the values that I think the marketplace wants. And so those of us who are trying to grow ministries sometimes inadvertently give the market what it wants in order to grow our audiences. And we don't stop and ask, is this really conforming to what Jesus taught? And you know, one thing to keep in mind is Jesus obviously had a large audience at different times in his earthly ministry. But there were also times where he deliberately, like John 6, thinned the herd by teaching people things they did not want to hear. And like in John 6, everyone left. They all walked away from him when he stopped doing the miracles and he started teaching some crazy stuff about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And only the 12 remained. And we're so terrified of giving people what Jesus actually says because we're worried they're going to walk out the door. And at the end of the day, we got to ask ourselves, who do we fear more? The Lord before whom we have to give an account one day or the people who put money in the plate? You're listening to a conversation with Sky Jatani. He's an author, speaker, pastor, and co-host slash better half of the Holy Post podcast. <laughs> bribe, Phil bribe. <laughs> that was a little bribe there. When we come back, we'll keep talking with him about these ideas of what if Jesus really was serious. As an example, we'll look at what we do with prayer and what Jesus actually says about prayer. Let's dig into some things you have here in the book, and we got some copies to give away in a few minutes, but there's an implication here that people are not taking Jesus seriously. So what are you seeing in terms of of the, the, the cultural traditions of prayer in the church today that might be off? Uh, probably the biggest one is that there isn't a cultural tradition of prayer. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, there was a survey, another survey done of church leaders asking them about their priorities, and not surprisingly... I think evangelism and preaching were one and two, and dead last was prayer. I think only 3% of pastors list it among their priorities. So it's just not something we uh, feel the need to engage in regularly. And I, I talk about how we tend to put prayer in parentheses, and in a literary sense, when you put words in parentheses, it's a it's an additional thought. It's something that's added to the sentence or paragraph, but the sentence or paragraph would be fine without what's in the parentheses. And very often that's how prayer functions in our churches. We do it. It's a perfunctory thing we do, but, or like you pray before a meal, but you're pretty sure that meal would be just as good if you hadn't prayed. 
And you're pretty sure your ministry would function just as well if you didn't begin the meeting with a brief prayer. But that's kind of how we think about it in a lot of the American church. Why? Because we are pretty self-sufficient. You know, we have pretty good flesh. We're pretty educated. We're pretty well-resourced. In fact, we're very well-resourced. We're the richest Christians who've ever lived. And so there's a sense that we, we can do quite a bit. We don't, we don't really need God's power and presence to pull off what he's asking us to do. At least that's our perception. And so in our sense of sufficiency, we don't feel the dependency that we ought to on prayer. We, we are deluded by our own illusion of control. And there are moments in life when that illusion is broken for us. But those are uh, few and far between. At the opposite end of it, in my ministry life, what I've seen people often use prayer as what I call a punctuation mark, as in when Mm -hmm. we're called to action of some sort, people use prayer as an excuse to not act because they they say, oh, well, we'll just pray for that. Right. I'm never upset when someone wants to pray, but if there's something that you're praying about which is completely within your ability to do already – I don't know if that's the faithful response. One of the arguments I make in the book is that we have too narrowly defined prayer as merely communication to God, when in fact, biblically speaking, I'd say prayer is really communion with God. So even when we're in acting mode, when we're we're getting off our knees and moving toward, you know, engaging something, in that action, we should also be in communion with God. It's not about stopping praying and then acting. They should all be filled with prayer. But if there's something within your ability or power to do and you refuse to do it, that's not faithfulness. That's not obedience. I think part of it, too, could be a lack of understanding with prayer and the guilt of every time I come to God, I'm asking for something. I know I, I there's been seasons of my life when things get tough and then you're just like, oh, God, you know, and then you go to God and then you feel guilty for using him as a, a vending machine. So can you talk more about just what Jesus says about what prayer is versus how we approach it, which is more requests. Yeah, and there's certainly nothing wrong with asking God for what we need and desire. We're, we're commanded to do that. The problem is, I think, when we too narrowly view prayer as just petition, when in fact, it, when you look at the way Jesus prayed and what was so shocking to his disciples in, in Luke 11, Think of all – if you had physical access to Jesus, can you think of all the different things you would want to know from him, like all the questions you would have? Yeah. And yet in Scripture, the one thing that we see the disciples asking Jesus is they say, teach us how to pray. Hmm. Why? Why couldn't they say, you know, teach us how to drive out demons or teach us how to overcome evil or teach us how to t- preach a sermon or it – was, it was teach us how to pray because they saw something so different in the way he prayed versus other religious leaders and rabbis. And I think what they saw was uh, in Jesus, his prayer was primarily to relate to the Father. It was to relate with God rather than trying to get things from him. And that's what separates, I think, true Christian prayer from other forms or even pagan understandings of prayer. It's not about manipulating God to get something from him. It's about entering into communion with God so that we might experience more of him. He is the goal of prayer, not what we get from him. So what does that kind of prayer even sound like? I'm I'm sure people are going, what? I mean, (laughs) how do you do that? Well, it may not sound like anything. It, again, we too narrowly define prayer as communication, yeah. when in fact it's communion. We have relationships with people, our children, our spouses, our dear friends, with whom we communicate all the time, but we also engage in those relationships without words. Sometimes it is just abiding in the presence of someone, an awareness of their love, 
of their protection, of their presence. And there are moments in the Gospels where Jesus obviously goes away alone to a mountainside or to the wilderness to pray to his Father. Do you think his communion with the Father was any less when he returned from those moments and engaged in active ministry? Hmm. It just changed. And that's what we need to cultivate is, yeah, we should set aside times where we can be alone with God, where we can express our desires, our fears, our joys and gratitudes, our desires and petitions. But then we need to carry that awareness of his presence with us back into the activities of our life. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. And some people say that's hyperbole. I don't think it is because I think it's exactly what Jesus did. He lived in communion with his father unceasingly. And that's what we're called to do as well. And until we begin to cultivate that vision of prayer, we're going to continue to feel guilty about, oh, I'm not praying enough because I didn't set aside enough time Mm -hmm. alone in a closet somewhere to meditate on God. And we need to do that. That's an important step, but we need to incorporate it into everything else we're doing as well. How do you handle the journey as you grow in, in your prayer journey with the Lord and you don't sense the communion? If you're thinking, okay, I'll listen to the Holy Spirit and you don't hear anything. I mean, some of those things can be discouraging. So what are Absolutely. some encouragement in that journey? Well, one encouragement is you're not alone. That is a common, almost universal experience of Christians throughout history when you read the stories of the saints throughout church history, mm-hmm. most of them have what has become known as a dark night of the soul, a time where they just don't feel God's presence. You see that even in Scripture. The Psalms are honest about that. Jesus felt that. Father, why have you forsaken me? He prayed from the cross, right? There's a, a, a sense of abandonment there, and that is a universal experience of anybody who lives in communion with God. So one comfort is you're not alone. And it's not abnormal and don't you know, necessarily question your faith or your communion with God just because you don't feel something. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, this is where faith comes in, right? Faith is the assurance of things unseen. Another way of putting it, it's being sure of things you don't feel all the time. And if we just go with our emotions, then we're going to be on a very tumultuous journey with God. And faith is the ability to maintain obedience despite your circumstances or your feelings, And so it's a call to continue and and press inward and trust that God is with us even if I don't sense him. I think we've become so – I don't want to downplay the role of emotions in our faith, but I think we've become so hooked on experiences and emotions that we think that's the foundation of our faith, and it's not. The foundation of our faith is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, rose bodily from the grave – and ascended and reigns over all things. That's what my faith is rooted in, not whether or not I feel him all the time. We've been having a great conversation with Sky Jatani, who is author of the brand new Moody Publishers book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? Keep in mind as well, he's an uh, author of other books, speaker, preacher, and again, go check out the podcast, the Holy Post podcast. He co-hosts You'll probably with Phil hear Fisher. about Brian and Janelle on there. Yeah, again, this is Brian <laughs> and Janelle <laughs> in Cleveland. Cleveland, Brian and Janelle, Brian and Janelle in Cleveland, Cleveland, Brian and Janelle. Wow, Next time you record, just want to be sure you remember that. Uh, And uh, go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. How can folks get more connected to your ministry, Sky? Uh, They can go to withgoddaily.com, where they'll learn more about me and and my daily devotional they can sign up for as well. Withgoddaily.com. Thanks again, Sky. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. You bet. Can't wait to hear about us (laughs) on your show. (laughs) 
<laughs> so awkward. Like he stopped laughing. I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey, hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So go ahead. Look down. Hit that button right there and subscribe. And you'll get updated episodes. And then you can hang some more. And guess what? You can help us out. How? A five-star rating. Hello. You can also hang with us live weekday mornings from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Download the Moody Radio mobile app and you're able to connect with us. Or just go to brianandjanelle.org. And listen, we didn't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Mike Reynolds, Alan Perry, and our awesome and fearless leader, Josue Villa. And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.